The Midwife Crisis podcast will touch on sensitive topics regarding the human body, sexuality, pregnancy, and all aspects of women's health care, and may not be suitable for all listeners. We will make every effort to warn listeners of possible trigger warnings specific to each episode, but listener discretion is advised. Hey, lady. Hey. How are you? I'm great. I'm fabulous. That's awesome. Well, my name's Kate, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am a cisgendered female, and I identify as queer, and I am a midwife, a baby midwife, meaning I've only been practicing for about three years, um, but working in women's health for about 13. I'm a mom. I have two little critters at home, and I am a partner to my husband. And I'm PR. I've been a midwife for 28 years, which means I'm not 29. (laughs) (laughs) I have three wonderful adult children. I'm contentedly divorced, and I'm dating. Well, maybe not dating. Maybe I'm just friendly to um, male partners. And how many, you say? Well, we might have to break out an abacus. But that's for another. That's for another program. Everyone's googling what an abacus is right now. Another. Well, that's good. We're <laughs> going to teach a few things today. That's what we're going to do. Um, and this is the midwife crisis. Because it's not just you. What does that even mean? It's not just you. Shh, hold on. Okay. Hang tight. We're we're going to get there. Okay. So listen, PR. I want to know. As a midwife, what's the most common question or what is the most common comment that people give you when they find out that this is your profession? Uh, Usually they say those still exist. People still use them. Yeah, I think that's the most. Those are the yeah, those are the comments I get most often. Yeah, like I'm some dinosaur. (laughs) I mean, you might be, but that's neither here nor there. You're going to get it. (laughs) You're going to get it for that one. So I usually get something like, uh, oh, you're a midwife, so you deliver babies at home. Or, oh, you must really love babies. People don't understand what's going on here. Um, We take care of women. We don't, I love women, Mm -hmm. and that's why I take care of women. We don't really take care of babies in our business. Some of us do, but I know the two of us don't. So maybe we should talk a little bit about the history and what midwives generally do, because it isn't taking care of babies. Yes, this is amazing. I'm so excited. I'm all about the history of the word midwife. (laughs) Okay, Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let me put on my powdered wig or, oh man, what's for a midwife, instead of a powdered wig, I think it'd be a powdered merkin. You're going to put a merkin on your head? <laughs> yes. And if you don't know what a merkin is, get out that Google. You will not be sad. Mer- so. <laughs> merkins are not for your head. I'm going to say that. But anyways, proceed. All right. So my merkin's on. And I'm going to take you guys on a, a little journey to tell you what is a midwife anyway. So people hear the word midwife and they think, oh, it's like a wife for a laboring woman. Um, and that seems to be, you know, that makes sense. You're acting as a wife. This woman's having a baby. That's what it means. But actually, that's not what it means. So the word midwife comes from Middle English. Wife means woman. So not a female spouse, the way we think of it, but as just, you know, a female. And the word mid means together with. So the word midwife was derived to mean with women, meaning we are with women. Um, we assist them giving birth. We support them through that journey. Okay. Um, the word obstetric. So when you think obstetric or your obstetrician or your OB, that um, comes even further. Um, that actually is derived from the word midwife um, in Latin, which means to stand in front of. So literally you're standing in front of a woman um, you know, as she's laboring or as the baby's being born. Uh, so that is sort of the der- derivative or the um, origins. Know, the origins, thank you, of the word midwife. And now I can take off my merkin because it is getting hot under this merkin. That merkin had no business on your head. <laughs> the places it's probably been anyway. <laughs> 
So today, midwives are, you know, advanced care providers. So just like your doctor, your physician's assistant, nurse practitioner, advanced, um, you know, practice nurse, uh, we focus on the health of women. Um, and sometimes you may hear us called mid-level providers. Mm. Mid-level? Mid-level like what? Somewhere between a doctor and a trash heap? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. If we're not mid-level. For me, that irks me too. It kind of drives me insane because it implies that we are halfway to something. We were trying to get somewhere and we got halfway there and we didn't finish. We have arrived. We are where we want to be. So we're not mid-levels. Um, just like your gynecologist or your obstetrician, we do all kinds of care from menses when you first get your period all the way through menopause when you stop getting your period. And so um, we provide checkups for all of those women and all kinds of treatment. We'll get into that a little bit later but we also provide care for those who are non-binary or gender non-conforming, trans, and otherwise. If your parts need servicing, we got you. Got you. Love it. All right. So a midwife is not a midwife is not a midwife. So um, just saying the word midwife, it can mean a lot of different things. There's a huge spectrum. So starting from one end to the next, um, PR and I are what's called a CNM or a certified nurse midwife. Um, and so basically, this generally means some amount of undergrad and you know anywhere from four to four years and on, um, and like two to three years of bachelor's. And basically, um, that means we're going to have um, our undergrad our bachelor's and our master's, and there is a nursing aspect in there. So for me, I did my nursing undergrad. For PR, she did her nursing um, as part of her grad. Um, we also have certifications, credentialing, continuing education. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and in 18 states of the 50, um, CNMs can diagnose and treat without physician supervision, and that's included in Connecticut. So we really can be um, autonomous. We can be our own providers, um, and I think a lot of advanced practice providers are sort of going that way as well. But So we are sort of our, our own um, being. Um, and because we have this dual training in nursing in mid and in midwifery, um, CNMs are qualified to provide care for all women, so not just during your child bearing. We can do across the lifespan, you know, I have patients that are 13. I have patients that are, um, you know, in their 70s. Um, and we could do well woman visits and gynecologic checkups. We can do contraceptive and family planning, um, treating STIs and menopause, all kinds of different needs. Um, we can also, if we wanted to, provide neonatal care. So for those people who just love babies for the first 28 days of life. Um, and, of course, just like how people always think when you think of midwife, we can also catch babies at home should we choose to do so. Um, another type of midwife that people think of is a CM. Uh, certified midwife. They're still masters prepared. They're still accredited by our same um, governing body, um, but they're not recognized in a lot of states. So only a handful of states recognize them. Then there's CPMs. So they are certified through a different accrediting body, the North American Registry of Midwives. Um, and interestingly, they require you to do out-of-hospital training. So whereas we can do all of our births if we wanted to in a hospital, in a birth center, or at home, um, CPMs do have to have some type of home birth training. Um, they typically have some kind of associates, bachelor's, or certificate. And, um, you know, sort of one of the potential downsides or something that can be difficult for a CPM is they can be the most amazing provider, but they don't have prescriptive authority. They can't, you know, order labs or give medications. They might have a great relationship with another provider that can do that for them. Um, but that is sort of the one of the differences. So they can't be completely autonomous in that way. Let's not forget there are still late midwives. My mom was delivered by one. Her mom was delivered by one, and so on and so on. Yeah, what does but, that mean, lay midwife? Well, lay midwife means that they don't really have certification in, in the sense of all those credentials that you just mentioned. They have on-the-job training pretty much. And um, historically, those are the midwives people are thinking of when they ask me that question, you still exist. And they do – They. Um, uh, catch babies because we say catching. We don't say deliver. That's right. You know? Pizza's delivered. Babies are caught. So they catch babies at in, in a home environment where some folks are more comfortable. And the kind of patients that they would have in this day and age would be um, those that are taking responsibility for their care and for the outcome. So if the outcome doesn't come out as you had planned, they are ex the, their clients are accepting of that sort of situation. Mm -hmm. um, 
there are also doulas, and doulas offer, they should not be doing, catching anyone's baby, but they do offer um, valuable labor support. Um, sometimes we actually work with doulas in the hospital. They come in and uh, offer labor support um, for patients who, who um, need that service or actually would like that service in addition to having a midwife or a physician, um, but they um, don't perform births. They don't go in and catch babies. And they go home sometimes with the mom and offer uh, postpartum support so they can help with chores around the house and help with their family and that kind of thing. They can be certified by the doulas of North America International or or do on-the-job training. I often think of doulas as sort of an expert in comfort, right? So they sort of, they understand, you know, how to help moms feel better. They do. And um, th- we actually may do an episode on doulas because mm-hmm. uh, folks are interested in that and they're they're being used a lot more nowadays. And actually, my understanding is that um, someone asked me, my son actually asked me a question about this. He said, you know, I heard that Erica Badu is a doula. And can you tell me something about that? And I said to him, why don't you listen to our podcast? <laughs> um, so uh, now that we understand a little bit uh, better what a midwife is, I guess the big question is, why become a midwife? Yeah, why Why did you become a midwife? Because you've been a midwife for a while. How long? Yeah, I've been a midwife for 28 years. Did I say that? Yes, I did. 28 years. And my, my road to midwifery was circuitous. It wasn't direct. I, I didn't, you know, it, it started very early. It started with a little bit of um, trauma. My first GYN exam was at age 15. I knew that... Um, I kind of could tell that sexual activity was coming around the corner fast. Remember that abacus I told you to break (laughs) out? (laughs) But I didn't, I had plans for myself, and so I did not want to do it recklessly. So I went to the gynecologist alone in in search of contraception, and it was a male gynecologist, my mother's gynecologist, and um, he did an exam. He did not explain anything that he was doing. He did not explain when he was going to do anything that he was doing. The exam was unchaperoned. And not to get into too many details, he concluded the exam by inserting not one but two of his fingers into my anus and telling me that I was going to enjoy it. I did not enjoy it. And then he said to me at the end of the visit, Um, I have to remember, I was attending an all-girls high school at the time, and he said to me, I have to remember that that good girls do go to that school. And he supplied me with six months of free birth control pills and said he would see me again in six months, and off I went. And I thought to myself, well, I did cry when I left, but I also thought to myself, I could do this better than than he does. I know I I could do this better than he does like next week if someone showed me what I had to do. So that was sort of my first thought about it. And then I, so I continued with my education and went to college and I went to liberal arts college, not a nursing school. And and, um, you get recruited and you get in a lot of debt and you get into life, you know, sort of life happens and you graduate, you get married and you work and you have kids and Kept talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And my ex-husband said to me, are you going to talk about it or are you going to do it? <laughs> and I said, well, let me just see. In the meantime, I volunteered at, a, at an abortion clinic, which was really important because um, we take care of, it was the beginning of t- being committed to taking care of everyone. Every woman. If you have a uterus, we're going to care for you. For sure. And so I did that for a while, and I felt like, this is good. I'm, I'm sort of making money on one end and then taking care of women on the other, but it wasn't enough. And so I decided to finally apply. But I decided I applied f- for midwifery and for peds to become a PNP, a pediatric nurse practitioner, because I felt like I had a family and being a midwife was going to be overcommitting myself, staying up all night, not coming home, Taking care of women, I, I, it was too much. I, I was going to stretch myself too thin because my commitment was to my family and my children first. I always say that being a midwife, like, uh, or that midwifery is my other child. It is a full time 
all-encompassing 24-7 J-O-B. And midwives have a very high divorce rate because you have to have strong partners um, to be able, they have to be independent and able to tolerate your absence, and um, which had nothing to do with, you know, why I'm divorced. But anyway, um, <laughs> and I may tell you that story later if you like <laughs> to know. Anyhow, um, so we, I decided to apply, and then I, I committed to PEDS. While I was in my training, I, on the obstetric end, I that rotation I did, and I said, this is my calling. My calling is not PEDS. I'm settling for PEDS. And so I went to the midwifery department chair, and I said to her, if I can't switch my focus to midwifery, um, then I'm going to quit grad school. And um, we had a long conversation about it, and she said, you're, be- you're right, you're being called to do this. And I was allowed to switch, which is unheard of um, and actually, they don't allow anyone to do it anymore. I love that. Um, in the program. I love that because the one of the oldest universities of midwifery in the United States is Frontier Nursing University. And their sort of tagline is answer the call. Yes, it is. It's a calling. You have to be called to do it. If you're not called and you're just doing it, we de- definitely we don't do it for the money. <laughs> that, is, that is faux show. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Doing, you're doing it because you're called. So. And I've never regretted it. I've never regretted it. It's work that I love, and I love what I do and who I take care of. But that was my—that's a long story. And it's funny, my friend—I have a very good friend, Robin, who says, when you tell a story, you start back (laughs) from almost when you were in kindergarten. And so um, I say to her, no, I don't, but I just want you to have the backstory. So that was my long story into how I got into midwifery. So first and foremost, let me just say— that um, this gentleman who assaulted you at your first visit, if if I knew his address, I would take a nice bag of my cat's poop and light it on fire on his front step. When I got into midwifery school, I found out he was dead already. And I... Hallelujah! And I wanted to know where he was buried so I could go dance on his grave, but that's inappropriate. So let me just say, obviously, we would never wish harm on anyone, but you should never, ever be made to feel uncomfortable at your visit. No one ever has the right to touch you. If you decline any type of exam, you can always say that. Um, And I am, that is so awful, and I'm so sorry that happened to you, but I am so glad for women that we got you out of that experience. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks. Yay. Tell us about you. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, my uh, journey into midwifery was also sort of, I guess, a little bit long-winded. Basically, I grew up in a family of nurses. So both my parents were nurses. And in my house, we talked about everything. Healthcare, our bodies um, were really open. Um, And being the youngest, I got to sort of experience things as my older sister did. So when my older sister got her period, my mom sat us both down and made us watch um, Where Did I Come From? A very cool, I don't know, I think it's late 80s or early 90s, like animated movie um, by Howie Mandel. It's definitely meant for the like cisgendered straight child but um showed it to my kids (laughs) (laughs) but it's great and it it shows you anatomic terms and about you know the reproductive cycle and everything else so like from an early age I felt really comfortable um you know talking about that stuff and I, I think I did have an interest in it as well um you know, when I first got my period, it was no big deal. We talked about it in my family. My sister was home. She like tossed a pad at me and was like, put this in your underwear. And, you know, it was it was, was what it was. But I think um, I took an interest and I sort of educated myself a lot about my body from a young age. Um, you know, I had our bodies ourselves and I was yeah. all into checking stuff out in the mirror because I was the first. I was, you know, sort of like the the first in my in my friend group, the first in my um, grade, really, to get breasts and get a period. And then I became sort of the authority. So from a young age, I was sort of like, you know, girls would be going through stuff and they would come to me and want to talk about it. Um, So it's kind of interesting that way. Um, I do have to say my first GYN experience was so markedly different from yours. Um, And I think that is a huge reason why, again, I feel so strongly about providing care for women because it is so upsetting to me that I had a wonderful, lovely, kind first experience 
and how much of that had to do with the fact that I was, you know, in an upper class town, you know, and being white and being with my mother, you know, um, that's not right. That's not right. And, um, you know, I I'm sad by that. I will say that my first experience was fabulous. It was actually um, with an older provider who's now retired um, that worked at the practice that PR used to work at. And he took, I mean, Lord, I don't know how he took like 45 minutes with me because let me tell you something, we only get 15 but he did. He took like a full 45 minutes. He said, this is a speculum and it looks like a duck bill. And this is the brush that gets the cells off your cervix. And I mean, he told me everything. He was like back forths and frontwards with the pill pack. I mean, I felt so like prepared. Um, he had a chaperone with him. He asked me before he touched my body. I mean, respected, wonderful experience the way it should be. Um, And I think a lot of that is going to be reflected in uh, the stories that we tell in this podcast because we do have really different experiences. Yes, um, we do. And so we will be addressing the intersection of of our profession, midwifery, with race and culture and kind of socioeconomics and just how different things can be for, um, and sexuality, how different things can be depending on where you fall in sort of those categories. Yeah. Um, But yeah, going back to becoming a midwife, uh, I initially went to school for biology. I went away to school. And what I found was when I got there, I wasn't so much into the biology aspect. I was really into the social aspect. And the social aspect for me was caring for, um, you know, my roommates, for my friends, for all the women that I went to school with. So, you know, someone would drink too much and I'd be helping them back to health and someone would have horrible period cramps and I'd be, you know, getting them hot packs and just really caring. And so I, you know, not you, you didn't drink too much though, right? Oh girl. (laughs) (laughs) There might've been a time that I drank a little bit too much and was doing somersaults down the hallway in our, I was just checking (laughs) in our apartment, but that is neither. Here Carry or there. on yes. as you were. Um, yeah. So I remember distinctly calling my parents from my school and being like, I think I want to be a nurse. And they were like, are you kidding? Because my older sister had just done the exact same thing, finished four years of college and a different degree and then decided she wanted to be a nurse. So um, <laughs> luckily I did it, you know, only half a year in. So I, I found a community-based program because, again, I wanted to provide care for every woman, for every, you know, person I was going to be caring for as a nurse. Um, so I transferred went to uh, nursing school and I remember the first male patient I was ever supposed to care for as a student nurse uh, he was in his 50s he had he looked a little bit like my dad and he had uh, just had major back surgery and he could not urinate and I remember the nurse coming to me and saying you're gonna have to straight cath him and when I tell you the first panic attack recorded in my brain is that moment it was true because I thought I cannot grasp this man's penis and put a tube in it. Sorry, everyone, that's graphic, but I just I just knew I could not. And I don't know if that, again, stems from be, identifying as queer and not having a huge amount of men that I've been comfortable with in my life, but, um, but I could not do it. And I said, girl, you better figure out how you're going to be a nurse if you can't take care of men. Mm. And so that was very clear to me that, yeah, I needed to be a women's health nurse. Um, And so I graduated my first job. I desperately wanted to be an obstetrics, but it was a tricky, um, tricky gig to land. So I started in uh, just generalized women's GYN and um, GYN oncology. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It's something I've never regretted. Um, I loved caring for women. I never had to care for men. It was perfect. And eventually I sort of got recruited to labor and birth um, and I worked in labor and birth. And just as you said, life happens. Mm -hmm. I got comfortable. um, I was married. It was like, oh, I only have to work three days a week. I get four days off. It was it was a sweet gig. Um, And I think I was really comfortable doing that. And I liked doing that job until um, I started trying to conceive. And I think a lot of us, we take, um, you know, uh, health class in college in high school and we're told you know you you're gonna look at a sperm and you're gonna get pregnant yes right we're they, like they will attack you from the outside exactly you don't even they have will, to put it inside do you ever hear that one you got really sweaty making out with a boy and he like came in his pants and then the sperm swam up the sweat on your leg and you got pregnant i have heard that <laughs> everyone has heard that 
So I thought that. So I thought the moment I'm going to stop my contraceptives, I'm going to get pregnant. It's going to be a blast. And let me tell you, it was not. um, I couldn't get pregnant. My body, I felt like my body was failing me. I wasn't ovulating. Um, It was, it was tough. Um, when I finally did get pregnant, I um, had a loss, um, and and it was a really dark time for me. And the thing that got me through it, the thing that um, really helped me, was the midwives in my practice. So wonderful, yeah. Those midwives supported me. I finally did carry a baby to term. I had a beautiful, you know, midwife support me through my birth. And when that baby came out, you know, plopped on my chest, I thought, oh my god, I have to do this because. Every woman deserves a midwife. And that's when I decided I was going to be a midwife. That's that's awesome. Um, and what is your sort of your all of us kind of have specialties. Mine was actually it was diabetes in pregnancy. Um, and, and so I'm the sugars, of, the sugars. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sort of switching gears just a tiny bit. Um Mine was diabetes and pregnancy, and that's because a lot of people, a lot of my people, a lot of people of color have diabetes in general. So I did a subspecialty while I was in grad school of diabetes just in general and then diabetes and pregnancy. And so what is your particular interest in our profession? Sure, yeah. Um, So... I do take an interest in adolescence um, just mm-hmm. because I remember having a wonderful experience as an adolescent and I want, um, you know, young people to be really well informed. Um, but really for me, I think it's in LGBTQIA plus care mm-hmm. and really um, – You know, I feel like as uh, someone who identifies as queer but presents as straight and someone who is white and cisgendered, I have privilege and I can be that and not be threatened and I can still receive excellent care. Whereas um, there are many women and, um, you know, trans men and people that are non-binary that um, are seeking care that maybe are not feeling safe and, Mm -hmm. um, it's so important to me to have a space for those people, you know, to, to seek their care and to get really good care. And I'm not saying I'm an expert. I'm not. I'm constantly learning. Um, I'm actually going to a conference coming up for this exact thing I'm very excited about. But um, that's, that's my area of love, really. And um, I think I really feel fortunate for the care that I've received. And again, I want to be able to give that same care um, to that population. Mm-hmm. It's interesting um, you're speaking on that. Um, I also, adolescence, I, I adore adolescence. And as I age, you know, they like to see folks that are young mm-hmm. and sort of young and hip. And I, I think probably my appearance attracts them to me still. But um, I try to see those who I think would um, feel sort of out of sorts with the general population. And when you were describing yourself, that's sort of how I kind of felt. Initially, when I came out of grad school, I worked in centers, community health centers, Mm -hmm. several in public health departments, because I wanted to take care of the people who would frequent those spaces. Yes. And after a while of working there, I thought, you know what, am I really doing a good service here? I'm I came into this business because I wanted to take care of all women and all women deserve to be taken care of. But no one's going to learn anything if they're not cared for by someone who looks like me. That's right. And so and that includes the folks who are like you just described yourself, who are white and privileged Mm -hmm. and um, and educated and not just those who live in poor working class neighborhoods and that and are of color and Spanish speaking because I too am Spanish speaking. And so um, then I, I joined that private practice that you um, were talking about and it's very diverse. And I felt like now I've, I've um, this is where I'm supposed to be because Mm -hmm. I'm taking care of everybody. And even within that practice, I found myself attracted to the patients that, other folks are kind of find find themselves awkward with. Yeah. I took care of I started with a patient who was a dwarf. And then she said that I took a lot of time with her and we kind of figured it out together and she said you were so kind I'm going to refer my friends to you and her friends were dwarfs were dwarfs. And um 
they are not, um, you know, they come in, they have different diagnoses and different forms of dwarfism, but, um, and it can be a challenge, but she said, I feel so comfortable. I want them to come to you. And, and sort of the same thing happened with kind of um, the um, black lesbian population. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you're really cool. No one has even asked me, like the other doctors, the other people that I see just assume that I'm with men. Yeah. And you don't ask that kind of, that's not how you present the question. And so um, I tended to develop little pockets of patient panels that were people that others considered different. Yeah. And I wanted them to feel comfortable and I wanted them to have good care and I wanted them to not have anything close, remotely close to the experience, my first experience. Absolutely. Um, but I also wanted them to know the only way you change the world is to get folks to see a different world. Mm -hmm. And so if I, if I pocketed myself in the community, you know, where only people who look like me reside, then everyone else doesn't get that exposure. So Absolutely. I'm sort of branched out and it's been it's been good. I think it's been good for everyone. I think you touched on a lot of really important things. I know, um, again, I'm always learning. I'm still, like I said, a baby midwife. But, um, you know, something that that touches me a lot is when people say things like um, when I ask them, is it OK if I examine you, is it okay if we do a breast exam? Would you like me to get a chaperone? Because just because I'm a female doesn't mean that you're still comfortable just being alone. And um, I think those types of questions, what types of partners do you have or how many partners do you have? Or, you know, are you interested in men or, or females or, or, or both? Or, um, you know, being really open-minded and allowing people to feel safe, right? The number one goal is that all patients have a safe space where they can be honest and truthful, where you feel comfortable. And I am here to tell you that if you go to a provider or a practice and you don't feel 100% comfortable, find a new one. There is someone out there for you. Um, because, Definitely. yeah, because life is too short to not be comfortable and to not feel heard and listened to. And, and there's a right person for everyone. I really believe that. Um, and yeah, I think I do tend to get a lot of, you know, sort of different uh, areas, different sort of patient populations. I know um, I have had a, a good handful of um, trans male patients, um, which is a learning experience for, for both of us, mm -hmm. for myself and the patient. And yes. that's why, you know, that's something I'm really interested in trying to um, further my education. Um, but yeah, we always want people to feel safe and we want to provide that care for everyone. Um, part of the reason why I work at a uh, what's called a collaborative practice, so a practice with uh, midwives and physicians, is that we are large enough that we can take sort of every population of patient. Um, and there are wonderful practices where it's um, just midwifery driven or just, you know, advanced practice provider driven. Um, but sometimes that does limit you a little bit. And so I love that if we have someone who is really sick, um, that maybe would um, would not be an appropriate, quote unquote, normal patient or midwife only patient, we can still be a midwife for them because everyone deserves a midwife. Yes, I, definitely. I agree. So we've talked a lot about midwives and what we do and the good we're trying to spread. What is the crisis? Because this is the midwife crisis. That's right. What is the crisis? I think we touched a lot on some of the crises, just some of them. Um, you know, people feeling unsafe or people um, having assault or different difficult pasts. Um, I think for me, it's been, you know, infertility yes. or even um, being queer. You know, I, I just happened to have a husband. I just happened to be with a man, but I still had infertility and I could have ended up with, a, you know, a female partner or, you know, a different uh, presenting partner. And there are a lot of challenges for that. So so that that is something. Um, I think it can also be as simple as, you know, my one of my labia is longer than the other. Right. You know, because here's the deal. Women share powerful and positive experiences, but no right. one wants to talk about their weird stuff like I lost a tampon inside me. Right. Or I lost a condom inside me. I lost a or anything. There have been <laughs> there have been other things that <laughs> folks have lost inside of them. That will be a fun I've had episode. to remove. That's right. We could do that too. So yeah, they don't they don't necessarily want to talk about that. They also don't want to talk about um, their anatomy and how it doesn't look like their friends yep. or. Um, 
I can't have an orgasm with my partner. Maybe I can't have an orgasm at all. Yes. Um, I have low sex drive. I, I mean, all so, different things. Yeah. Those are the crises. Continue. I didn't mean to. Well, cut I was you just off. gonna say, and and the crisis is that it's it's women feeling that they're by themselves, right? You feel so isolated when you have something going on. Um, you know, maybe you've lost a baby. Women will always say, "I feel like I'm the only one. Everyone else has kids." Um, and I remember feeling this way. I was catching babies, or you know, helping catch babies as a labor and birth nurse, and feeling like, "What is wrong with me that I can't have a baby that I can carry to term?" And um, and guess what? It's not just me. It's not just you. And that's a to be where you were is a really hard place to be watching babies born into the world left and right. Yeah. And you feeling like, am I not adequate? Why can't this happen for me? Mm-hmm. And then not even I mean, a person like me can't even give you solace who has babies show up in my body uninvited. They just Knock, knock, may we come in? And you say, of course you can. Come on. Come on in. Why not? Um, and so this, those, all of you, all of um, these folks are who, who may feel that you are in a crisis, that is the crisis, and we want to normalize it. We want right. to let you know there are so many. You are not the only one. And It's um, not just you. It's not just you. And... When we have these discussions, you will learn a lot and you'll laugh a bit. Hopefully. Hopefully. At the, if you by haven't the laughed end. yet, just Google Merkin. I'm telling you. <laughs> and you will la- <laughs> Yes, you are going to laugh if you Google Merkin for sure. Um, but that is the crisis for sure. Um, real quick, uh, what is the first birth that you remember? Because I think that as midwives, people are interested in our experiences as we catch babies and so sure um you know i hmm so as a nurse every once in a while you'll sort of like accidentally catch a baby mm-hmm. like you call for the provider and you're pushing but like whoops this baby just came into my hands and um you know there's a couple of those and i hate to say this but i don't remember my first like midwife catch for whatever reason um i've caught a lot of babies and so so that's that... awesome <laughs> I mean, but so that one, I I wish I could say that it like imprinted on my life and now I have it tattooed on my chest, but I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do recall one. um, I do recall. I do recall one. So uh, basically the school that I went to um, has a little bit of a uh, ceremony before you go out in the world and start doing your clinicals where you um, sort of are practicing being a midwife before you graduate, um, where you are given a hat, a little knit hat. Um, that you are to present to a baby that you catch when you feel um, when you feel so inclined to do so. Um, so I headed home out back into my community, ready to catch babies with this hat in tow, um, and it stayed in my bag for a couple of weeks, and I just never really felt sort of the need to give it. And I remember one day I came in, um, the midwife I was working with said, "You know." We have this patient. She's in labor. She's had a baby before. She really does not want a student. And I was like, okay. And let me tell you, folks, I get it. You know, you don't want to hear this person is learning. This person's learning on you. What? Learning on your hinterlands? They're, they're pra- on your vagina? They're practicing on your vajayjay? No way, Jose. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I totally got it. But I was like, let's just, I'm going to go introduce myself. I'm going to say hello um, just so they know I'm here, you know, whatever. And then, you know, I'll go work on a paper or something like that. So we go in the room and I see this woman in the bed. And she says, and she goes, Kate. Kate. Damn. Right. So uh, so I know this girl and um, she is like, "Ugh, I guess you can catch my baby. And let me tell you about this girl, this woman. She is strong, opinionated, a little bit fierce. Some people might call her a bitch, but uh, but she's not. She just she just has a lot. You know, she's a little bit intimidating. And um, and I thought I have to do this and I have to give her the best birth. Um, And I did. I labored with her. I did everything I could do. Uh, She had a big baby. It was a really tough birth. Um, I remember at one point telling her to stop and look at me and saying, listen, look at me. Take a big breath. Give me one more push and you'll be done. Um, 
And she looked down that bed at me. Everyone's yelling at her. We just made eye contact. And she just, you know, kind of breathed her baby out into my hands. And that was it. I popped this baby on her belly. And um, and she said, Kate, you know, I I don't think I could have done this without you. I'm so glad that you were here. Um, and let me just say, I never want to take the person's birth from them. I truly believe that women can do this completely without us. We're just an accessory. You can put them in the woods and they could give birth. Exactly. So I never want to take anyone's power from their birth. Whenever I hear a woman say, oh, thank goodness, Dr. So-and-so was there. It was blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. And then I say, excuse me. And I go in the corner and I throw up in my mouth. (laughs) Just a little in my mouth. No. I mean, I think that's lovely. But women, you know, you're very vulnerable when you're having a baby. And a lot of times you feel like I couldn't have done it without the people there. And and, and maybe that's part of it. And that's part of being a midwife. But but you could have. Girl, you got this. OK. But so anyway, um, long story short, the two of us were sort of reluctant to have a birth together. And we did it. And we, um, you know, we got her little baby out. And that baby was given my hat. And um, so that's the first birth that I remember sort of doing independently. Um, and yeah, that sort of solidified, okay, like this is right. I got that's this. I cool can make a difference. story with yeah. the hat. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice tradition. It is a nice yeah. tradition. Yeah. I told myself after that, I was like, I'm going to knit a hat for every baby I caught. And do you know how many hats I've knit? How many? About a third of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Third, not even a whole. Let me tell you, I was like, I'm gonna knit, I'm gonna knit hats when I'm waiting for babies, and let me tell you, I nap when I'm waiting for babies. Yes, you <laughs> sleep when you can. You learn to sleep standing up in a corner if you That's need right. to. Yeah. Do you remember? No I mean, I know it was a long time ago. Yeah. But do you remember I'm, your first birth? I'm or? very thick skinned, so she can't <laughs> offend me with her little long time ago remarks. Listen, she's my little mama, and when she. <laughs> When you said some might consider her a B, I thought you were going to say some might consider her a PR. <laughs> but I didn't. Anyways, uh, I, actually, I do. Because you know what? We tend to remember um, incidents that traumatize us a little bit. And so this was a not a traumatic story, but um, I do remember it because it was the first. And I don't remember all those in between, except for those that were traumatic and um, I see people in the grocery store. It's really funny. And I, I say, hi. But I don't remember anything. Oh, I love that. I, and people are like, Kate, Kate. And I'm like, well, they have a baby. Right. But they also have, you know, they're also a woman. Yeah. And was and I their nurse? Say, hey. Do they go to my kid's school? Did I catch their right. baby? Is it, did I do their GYN exam? Okay. Do I tell them they have chlamydia? What's the deal? Why do I know this person? Oh. And, and we never want to violate HIPAA. So we no, just go, you hi. don't. And especially if it's the partner who's saying hi to you and if they have the baby and I'm like, hi, how's the family or whatever. Yeah, it's it's very difficult. I just try to if, if you come out to me, then I'm, I'm all for it. But I just say I'm so bad with names. I'm really sorry mm-hmm. because we see a thousand mm-hmm. people and we can't remember. Sometimes people will tell you a little snippet, though, like someone yeah. found me on social media and she said, remember, I kicked my leg up in the air. Right before you went to check me. And you said, whoa, look at you. You're doing bednastics. And I was like, that sounds like me. Yes. And I did remember her. (laughs) Someone did that to me, too, in Stop and Shop. She was a bagger. And she said, oh, my goodness, you delivered my baby. And I just looked at her and I said, shh. And she said, no, remember when I said, and she said, beep, boop, And then I said, beep, beep. And everyone in the two aisles on either side just turned their heads and stopped talking. It was silence. And I was, I said to her, shh, 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 shh. no, no, we're not going to talk about that. She said, and that was beep and awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was. Anyways, uh, yeah, it was in New York, um, that first birth. Uh, and um, it was a really nice birth, very quick. Um, she did an awesome job. Not, you know, she was Spanish speaking. And so I, that was beautiful, too. And very nice. And the baby was born. And we were taught to examine the baby as soon as it's born to make sure everything looks good. A lot of times now we plop them right on the bomb's belly. We do. Mom, we even invite mom to help catch the baby. Yep. Like as it's being born, we say, you know, grab your baby and just kind of pull it up yep. onto her belly. Back then... And also in the Bronx, it's a little different because it's, it was a midwifery service. It's not like there's not like peds around or anybody around. So the midwives and midwives even do circumcisions down there. And so it's a little bit different service. So we kind of had to examine the baby. 
So I examine the baby and I wrap the baby up and I tell her, you know, your baby's so beautiful. She, I look at her, she has so much hair and I took the hat and I put the hat back on and I told her all the good things. And then I said, I just want to show you something. And I said, let's pull her hands out and um, I'm going to show you and, and um, her hands. And I pulled her hands out and she started shrieking. She started screaming um, like she was like she was frightened or something. <sighs> and I, I started to weep. Aww. Her baby had six fingers on each hand. Polydactyly. And, yes. That's what it's called, polydactyly. And I said, um, it, you know. Uh, this is I'm I'm sorry and you know it's okay though because we can fix this and she's just so beautiful look at her she's so beautiful and she was crying and she finally she spoke and she said this is amazing my whole family has six fingers <laughs> my dad had six fingers and my my sister and everybody has six fingers and she said i used to too and then she proceeded to show me where her six fingers were and they were removed and she said you cannot take her fingers off until the whole tribe has seen her like everybody has to see her first cuz usually we take the it gets removed before the baby goes home mm -hmm. and she says no don't take it off i want it to stay on because i want everybody to see her there's no way that anybody could take my baby they will know we all know this is our baby because of these fingers this I, this is so amazing i can't believe it and i was still weeping but now for a different reason she scared me. She scared the bejesus out of me. And that was my, I was like, this is my first birth. This is how this is going to go. I got to be a wreck every time I catch a baby. But no, that was really a, a happy ending. It was an awesome, awesome birth. I love that. That's so amazing. And also, I think that's a good lesson to, um, you know, we have to present to women as sort of a blank slate, right? You know, yeah. so you're, you're a gut feeling when you see this. You know, we see it. We're taught that's an abnormality, right. Right? right? And so for this woman, no, this is a celebration of her family. This is her her genetics um, sort of physically manifested on her little baby's hands, you know? And I think stuff like that reminds us to do so. You know, I've always made it my practice to when I meet a woman and um, – She's there because she's pregnant. I never, ever say congratulations, right? Because you don't know. You right. don't know what the circumstances. I, I always just go in and say, um, so you're pregnant. How does that make you feel, right? Because you need to make this person know that whatever their reaction is, is safe. Um, and so sometimes it's going to be not the reaction we're expecting. Right. And it's our job to and roll with it. We have to meet people where they are. Exactly. We have to meet women because only women actually get pregnant and so that that's a little peeve of mine that well or um men with uteruses men with uteruses mm -hmm. um you have to have a uterus to get pregnant that's right that's to right. be pregnant and so um it's not sort of a person thing it's, yeah so anyways um yeah we meet meeting folks where they are that's of prime importance and accepting Letting yeah. them know that it's all good and that that's why your crisis, what starts as a crisis, we will help you see that it's all good. That's right. And um, PR, one last thing. What are you hoping to learn about or discover or um, become more well-versed in as we do this podcast? And as we, um, by the way, we're hoping to have a lot of really cool guests. We're going to touch on all different types of topics. Um and yeah, but what are you hoping to learn from this? Um, I think I could stand to learn more about um, the LGBTQIA um, plus community. I don't, I don't feel like I'm, like I'm well versed on um, that on that community. And so I want when I'm caring for them to feel. I want them to feel as comfortable as I make everybody else feel. And not that I'm making them feel uncomfortable, but I just want to. I want to know language and I want to know, you know, um, sort of culture and just what makes you feel comfortable and what yeah. doesn't make you feel. So that I think that's an area which you happen to be, you know, farther, much farther along in your walk than I am. So that's something that I'm particularly interested in because the skills and stuff, I've, I've been in the business quite a while. So I'm that's pretty right. good with that. 
And um, and where I what I'm doing now, which I work in an OB triage, which is kind of the emergency room for women. So I've sort of transitioned into another phase, and um, I put out fires a lot. And so that's that's good stuff. I love it. But that's something that I would be interested in. Yeah. 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 Um, so what I'm hearing from you is that you just want to you know continue your inclusivity, right? So you know every woman. Um, And I love that. And I also love, you know, when you're talking about your um, patient with dwarfism, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think so many times we think about these different populations of people and we forget, you know, women that are older and women, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that have disabilities and um, or different, you know, just different body types, things like that. So um, inclusivity. And, And I think I would have to agree. You know, I'm hoping to learn more about you know, culturally um, and also, you know, chronologically, I guess, um, you have a lot to teach me. And I've always really looked up to you for that. Um, and I... Happy to do it. Oh. Happy to do I it. I love her, guys. Um, anyway, so uh, I'm really hoping to learn more about, um, again, how to be sort of an advocate for all women. So um, specifically women of color, um, people of color, um, uh, older women. You know, I'm not the best, the most well-versed in things like menopause. And so, um, so I think those are topics and things that are really going to teach me a lot. Um, and yeah, I'm so excited. I think this is going to be a lot of fun and we're going to talk about some crazy stuff, some cool stuff. We're going to share a lot more of our own stories, um, and normalize everything because again, it's, it's not just you. It's not just you. That's right. For sure. All right. So what do you say? We're going to wrap it up. I think we should. I think it's time. All right. See you next time. Until next time. What are we going to say? Until adios. next time. Adios. Peace out. Don't douche. That's a big one. Don't don't douche at all. Not before next time. Ever. 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 Okay. All right. Don't douche. Peace. You've been listening to episode one of The Midwife's Crisis. This podcast was recorded at Baobab Tree Studios in lovely downtown New Haven, Connecticut. If you have an idea for a podcast, go to our website at baobabtreestudios.tv and fill out the podcast pitch form. We'll see you soon with the next episode of Midwife's Crisis. Until then, keep sharing stories.